Heavenly Father, we pray that you would use us to be uh, your witnesses um, in our homes, uh, in our uh, places of work, uh, in our towns, our cities, uh, and Lord, even unto the very ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at Acts 22 today. We're going to talk about testimonies uh, because Paul is giving his testimony here. And, yep, and, uh, and so uh, a, wonderful, uh, a wonderful testimony, but it doesn't go over very well. So Acts 22, Paul, remember, is in um, uh, Jerusalem. He actually gets arrested in the temple. Uh, and so uh, with this um, big group of people, uh, he's on the uh, Fortress Antonia steps. Uh, which actually overlooks the very courtyard where Jesus had the woman who was caught in the act of adultery brought to him. So that's where Paul is when he's giving this speech. Uh, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. Because remember, how many women were were there when when that woman was brought to Jesus? None, right? It was all men. It was all men. So there are only men allowed here. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to death binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one, Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all Jews who live there, came to me and standing by me said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know know that in one synagogue after another... I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, 
Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word they listened to him. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. The danger of sharing your testimony. Um, uh, people. Here's the thing about testimonies. We, we all have one. We all have one, and we all need one. Uh, why? Because there has to be some story that... Uh, well, let me just back it up. When you're reading the Bible, it's full of testimonies. Uh, what are they talking about? The things that God has done in their life, or in, even in the Old Testament, the life of the people of Israel, how God brought them to where they are. And God says, recount to your children. Tell them uh, about the mighty things that I've done and where I've brought you and where I'm taking you and the promises that I've made to you. And in the same way in the New Testament, you have people giving witness to their faith, and all they're doing is relaying facts. Now, certainly there are facts that are couched in the life of the individual, Testimonies have personalities. Now, some testimonies uh, are like Paul's. Paul was a murderer, right? I mean, even here, he said, look, I was on my way to Damascus to kidnap Christians, to break up homes, and bring them back to Jerusalem so that they could die. Right? That's actually illegal to do in, in the Roman Empire. But that's what he was doing. And uh, he gets converted from being um, this, well... He's still technically a murderer, but he gets converted because the Lord intervenes in his life uh, in a remarkable way on the road to Damascus as he's about to go kidnap these Christians. And I would bet that most of us probably don't have that testimony. Uh, I was on my way to murder somebody, and, and God intervened. I mean... Uh, Look, go back into Acts and read about what Ananias' response is when uh, a word of the Lord is given to him that says, uh, Paul's coming and I want you to minister to him. He was on his way to kill you, but I promise it's going to be okay now. <laughs> That's crazy, right? Because they knew who Paul was. The people listening to Paul knew who he was, uh, but they also knew now that he was different and that all the energy that they appreciated him pouring out against the church that has now been shifted to preaching the gospel. So in the same way that he was trying to stamp it out, God is now using him to basically, as the book of Acts says, to turn the world upside down. That's what's happening. Now here's the thing about witnesses. You only need a witness when. There's disagreement. Everybody agreed about everything. You wouldn't need a witness. Uh, court cases would be a whole lot easier that way. Uh, but... Uh, there's disagreement, and so you have to call witnesses to testify uh, to the truth of the matter, and that's what Paul is doing here. So as you think about your own life, your testimony is probably the most effective tool that you have to share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. Uh, that's a lot easier, I think, emotionally than feeling like you have to sit down with the Bible open and kind of walk through the different verses and say, here's your spiritual condition. You know, if you've ever seen the four spiritual laws, uh, well, on spring break in Panama City, uh, they pass them out on the beach because um, that's what they're interested in. And, you know, you might have seen those types of things. But when you're telling your story, it's a totally different thing. One, it's easier for you to tell. 
Uh, you know what your story is, so it's, it's not subjective. Uh, and in addition to that, people are much more likely to listen uh, to your testimony rather than just sort of bare theological propositions. Uh, and I've done this on airplanes before. If I ask somebody, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, when I'm on an airplane, you can tell the people who are chatty, and you're just like, how long do I have to fake sleeping? Uh, before, do y'all do that? Y'all have never done that, have you? Uh, where you fake sleep on an airplane so you don't have to talk to somebody. But if you got on an airplane and said, do you know the Lord Jesus? Uh, if they do, they'll say yes, but still wish you'd leave them alone. Um, and, uh, or, uh, or they're going to say, you're crazy. You're crazy. But what I've found is if you get on an airplane and they actually want to engage you in conversation, if you ask them, what are your spiritual beliefs? They'll never shut up. They just won't. They'll keep talking and talking because everybody has some sort of spiritual belief. Uh, and that's the occasion for you to actually give witness. Uh, not to sit there and say, well, you know, you said this, but that's actually not true. Um, you actually just give your testimony and allow it to speak for itself and pray that God works through it. And so, if you've never done it before, uh, you should sit down and you should write out your testimony. I I'm not talking about your memoir on, you know, what happened when you were six years old and, you know, all that kind of stuff, but actually five minutes, no more, just a five-minute testimony of how God has uh, intervened in your life uh, and brought you to faith in Him. Even, even if your testimony is one of those that says, I've never not been a Christian. I've never not been a Christian. But I would bet that most of you who even grew up in the church had to come to a place where you appropriated the faith for yourself, that it was no longer your parents' faith, uh, or the faith that you were, you know, it, it became real to you, and, uh, and Jesus went from being uh, the Savior and Lord of the world to being your Savior and Lord. And that doesn't have to be some dramatic experience. It, in fact, is probably gradual uh, for you. That it took a while for you to kind of get the whole uh, picture for God to open up your eyes uh, to uh, His saving you. And a lot of people feel intimidated to give their testimony because they think, well, that's boring. I never really did anything that bad. Uh, I was a pretty good kid. And even though I really wasn't, you know, a believer in college, um, I still acted like one. You know, I, I kind of kept it between the ditches. And uh, so there's no real fantastic story for me to tell. And yet what I found, bless you, especially in the South, those are the most effective testimonies because that's all of us. I mean, I've heard some pretty amazing testimonies that I'm actually not allowed to say in church. I mean, sort of over-the-top kind of stuff. And I was definitely sucked into them, but then I just thought, I don't relate. <laughs> that, that's such a far cry from my experience. It actually uh, it got my attention, uh, but I'm not exactly sure uh, how that relates to me uh, because I've, uh, I've never even seen a motorcycle gang. Uh, I, you know, I, <laughs> I've not even thought of getting a tattoo on my face. Um, I like old people, you know, things like that. Well, um, I'm, I'm going through that testimony in my mind uh, of what this person was doing. But your testimony 
uh, again, is one of the most effective means by which the gospel is preached. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. And all he's doing is telling the story. But what I will say about this is that Paul, and, and it's fine for someone to bring this up, because this testimony sounds a little bit different from what, what happened earlier in the book of Acts when he was converted. Now, the thing about it is, though, the same guy who wrote that down is the same guy who wrote this down, Luke, right? So what, what accounts for some of the discrepancies? Well, one, uh, consider the audience. Uh, who is he speaking to? He's in Jerusalem. We already know he's speaking to what? It's a group of men, right? It's a group of men, uh, and um, uh, they're Jewish. Uh, they're devout. Uh, these, are the, these are the same guys that maybe as young men were there and dropped their rocks when Jesus in John's gospel forgave the woman. And they're there again. And he begins by saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet, and then he went. So he addressed them in Aramaic and in Hebrew, and then he called them by the familial titles of father and, fathers and brothers. Now, I'm, I'm one of you. And then he begins to outline his credentials. Look, I, granted, I was born outside of, uh, I was born off, uh, but I was brought up in Jerusalem. Uh, I was educated at the feet of Gamaliel, uh, who you can read about at the beginning of Acts. Uh, everybody knows who he is. He's laying out his credentials. And you can hear them sort of saying, wait a minute, I didn't know this about him. And so they're beginning uh, to lean in. He talks about what his life was like uh, before uh, he uh, became a, a believer. Uh, and, uh, and he continues on. I'm going to go ahead and jump ahead a little bit. Uh, and then he tells uh, what, uh, how God intervened in his life and, uh, and, and brought him to faith. Uh, it's really a remarkable thing and ought to be an encouragement to us. Who was witnessing to Paul? Nobody. <laughs> I mean, I, that sounds crazy that that's an encouragement. But there was no friend who was saying, Paul, I want to tell you about Jesus. Now, he had to have heard. He heard Stephen's speech, right, because he was holding the coats. Uh, he had to have at some point understood at least what Christianity was teaching at an intellectual level. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been against it. Uh, so he was understanding uh, what Christianity was all about, uh, but nobody loved him enough to share the gospel with him personally and individually. And yet God, in his mercy, reached down and he saved him. Uh, but that's actually the case with anybody who comes to the Lord. Um, yes, somebody may have witnessed to you. Um, uh, again, I always point to uh, uh, Paul's first letter to Timothy, uh, and right out of the gate, who does he praise? Your mom and your, gra your grandmother. I mean, how many of us came to faith in the Lord because of moms and grandmothers? Uh, absolutely faithful uh, women. And yet what Paul's testimony shows us, and uh, is, is certainly true of uh, our testimony, that yes, God may have used them as the means, but it was God who saved you. Right? It was God who intervened in your life. Uh, the credit belongs to Him. You didn't just come to some sort of place of, Oh, yeah, that kind of all makes, uh, that makes sense to me. Uh, actually, it is a supernatural uh, thing that happens when the scales uh, from your eyes and your heart fall and you're able to see yourself as you are and able to see Jesus as he is. It also helps that Jesus speaks directly to Saul. 
Uh, I don't know if he does that to y'all. Wish he would do it with me sometimes. Uh, but uh, there he goes, and he's uh, taken in. He's immediately shown love and not judgment by the Christian community. Doesn't mean that they weren't suspicious uh, of him and trying to feel out where he was going to go with his faith. I mean, even before he went into his preaching ministry, he spent a, a large amount of time at the church in Antioch um, learning about the faith uh, before he was sent out uh, to be an evangelist and uh, a missionary. He says, I was baptized, and then I returned to the temple, and uh, I fell into a trance, and I saw Jesus saying, get out of Jerusalem, and, uh, and he realized his being there with Stephen, uh, and then he says, to sum it up, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles, and that's when the crowd lost their mind and said, we've got to kill you. We've got to kill you. Now, this is not the best model for how to give a testimony because this is actually what happens in a lot of testimonies. People spend an inordinate amount of time talking about how bad their life was before Jesus, and then they might spend a little more time talking about how they came to know the Lord Jesus, and then two sentences on what their life has been like since Jesus. Now, I think that that's fine, but I think that probably in our testimonies we need to be spending uh, more time talking about what does life look like in the Lord Jesus. I think that sometimes Christians don't really have a lot to say about that because the world thinks, and we feel this pressure, that Christianity is just about sunshine and lollipops. You know, my life is, is, uh, you know, my, my life is going well. Uh, in fact, uh, I won Publishers Clearinghouse last week, uh, and uh, I pray for it, and, and the Lord uh, brings it about uh, in life. Uh, but God causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. Right? That's just the nature of life, uh, and yet uh, we go through this life and we're not alone. So there is a sense in which we can say, my life is supremely better than Jesus, with Jesus. My life is different uh, because of Jesus, if for any other reason, just the perspective that Jesus brings to our life, that we're actually able to understand that we have a good shepherd who's leading us and guiding us and carrying us uh, through uh, life. Uh, and I think it's important to talk about Christianity and how it impacts our life here and now just as much as it's important to talk about eternal salvation. All right, that's important. Uh, but Jesus says, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. When does eternal life begin? When we believe. Not when we die. Not when we die. Now, look, I'm looking forward to throwing off the old body. I can't wait to see what the Lord does uh, in, in heaven with me. Uh, so that's why I don't feel the need to get stuff done because uh, God, <laughs> God's going to do that. Um, but I, actually, we don't know if that's the case or not. We might get up there and say, oh, man. Um, but uh, it's just as important. Why? Because salvation is now. The kingdom of God has come now. And your relationship with Jesus is just as real now as it will be in heaven, except then you'll finally behold him face to face. And so spending as much time talking about uh, what happens uh, in this life uh, when you're walking with Jesus, and that's kind of a hard sell. So what are some objections do you think that some people would have about Christianity in light of that? What do you hear sometimes? I wish I were a, could be a Christian, but... And I 
You should have said, I'll let, you, let me know when you find it. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, I'm really bad at dinner parties. Lauren's like, he's up. Yeah, so in those, you know, we've talked about this a little bit. I can't remember when I say things and when I don't. Uh, but the people that, um, that I, I talked to uh, that uh, once were decided atheists that have become Christians uh, will answer the question, well, Christianity is just an emotional crutch. And they'll admit to you, my atheism was an emotional response to some sort of existential crisis. And, and very real things like the loss of a loved one, a bad diagnosis, loss of a job, relationships gone bad. And the question, you know, if there is a loving God, how could this kind of stuff happen? And so it's not an intellectual destination in the same way that Christianity is not an intellectual destination because I've never been able to argue anybody into the Christian faith. Just can't do it. Now, that doesn't mean that we, we always have a reason for the hope uh, that is within us, and we don't know how God is going to use us. Uh, but I know when there are times when I've engaged in conversations where I know this is really unhelpful for everybody involved, uh, because now I care more about the debate than I do the person. I'm just trying to, I just want to win the argument rather than win them for the Lord Jesus. And, and so I think that in that, and it's really okay for Christians uh, to, to say, I don't have an answer to that. Um, and uh, to the atheist, uh, draw it out. Say, now tell me why you're an atheist. And, and uh, ask for their atheist testimony. <laughs> ask for it. Uh, one of the great stories that came out of uh, uh, the church, uh, it's not often told, uh, Aldous Huxley, you know, Darwin's bulldog. Uh, he, was, uh, he really took Darwinism uh, to the next level. Incidentally, uh, he was George Orwell's French tutor. Uh, so if you ever uh, want to get an idea behind Orwell, look, read Huxley. Uh, and um, Huxley uh, really, again, took Darwinism to the next level, especially social Darwinism, and uh, really uh, was a very smart and brilliant man uh, and was one of the first people in England to come out and say, there is no God. Uh, in, in a cu culture in Victorian England, that, that was not okay to say. Uh, and he really reveled in the, the controversy of it. And he found himself at a country house one weekend. And uh, as was wont to happen in, in the late Victorian era, everybody was going to go to church, except Huxley. And there was a man there, doesn't have a name, uh, but Huxley wrote about this. And the man said, well, I'll stay behind with, with Huxley. Huxley said, you don't have to do that. I'm just going to you know, smoke my pipe, sit in the chair. Uh, think about you poor Christians and how you're wasting your time. Uh, and, uh, and so you don't need to keep me company. He said, no, 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 I, I want to keep you company. And that man uh, stayed behind. He was a Christian believer, and he shared his testimony with Huxley. And Huxley wrote, he said that before the man could even finish his testimony, tears were streaming down my face. And all I could say to him was, I wish I could believe that. Not in a patronizing way, but... I really wish that I could believe that. That's what I want. That's what I'm searching for. Uh, but like the rich young man, he went away sad for his intellectual possessions were great. And so in the same way, sometimes just 
telling your story. And Huxley also says that when he began telling the story, Huxley rolled his eyes and thought, simpleton. And by the end of it, he thought of him as the dearest man that he had ever met um, in sharing his faith in the Lord Jesus with him. Uh, and he didn't try to engage Huxley at any sort of intellectual level. I think there's a place for that in apologetics. I think people like Larry Taunton do a great job uh, of engaging people at that level. Uh, but again, uh, the breakthrough has to be spiritual. Uh, and God can use those types of things. Uh, but uh, let's say it's a heart issue. Right? It's, it's a matter uh, of the heart. And so we ought to have a, a clear testimony, but understand that we're speaking to people's hearts. That, and actually treating them like people, uh, not spiritual statistics. I mean, there are certain traditions where all they're really hoping to do is to get your fire insurance, you know, your card stamped into heaven, and you're there, and then they're like, done. And then they just move on to the next person, uh, rather than what the, the Bible talks about, which is actually discipling people, being in community with people, being part of a family, uh, and really walking alongside one another uh, through life, because we need uh, each other. What are some other objections that y'all hear? Hypocrisy? Yeah, so the church is the one institution where, um, where when someone says, well, I feel like the church is uh, full of hypocrites, you can say, you're right. You should come and join us. You're a perfect fit. Right? You, you belong. Uh, you belong. And I mean, I say that tongue-in-cheek, but the fact is, is that Christianity actually allows for a self-awareness that no other faith or philosophy does. You can actually say, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner, rather than the other guy who's saying, thank God I'm not like that guy. Uh, so uh, self-awareness is, is a big, uh, big thing in Christianity. Some people don't want to face up to it. Uh, but, um, but also when I hear people talk about hypocrisy, that again is normally a very deep-seated emotional issue, issue that normally has something to do with their parents. Um, and I grew up in a household like that. Not my immediate parents. They, they were pretty nominal Christians at best. Uh, but I had a grandfather, and it I mean, really... Little stuff, but it'll scar you. You know, my grandfather went through this phase where he was one of those Christians where, you know, no fun allowed. If it's fun, it couldn't possibly be Christian. And I remember I had dressed up like a pirate. I was four years old. I dressed up like a pirate for Halloween, and I went into his den. And I said, Granddaddy, what do you think? And he said, I don't think much of it at all. And then he turned his desk chair around and went back to what he was doing. And um, that didn't really endear me to Christianity. Uh, because that's I, what I heard was if you're a Christian, that's what happens. You know, you're a fun sponge. You walk into the room and soak up all the fun. So. Yeah. Do you have anybody in mind? Just kidding. So. So what? Right. So you know, what you're talking about actually is more prevalent. You get the hypocrisy thing actually less from people who grew up in very conservative environments. I mean, that happens sometimes. Uh, but they almost always end up coming back into the church, and the Advent is full of them. Because they still believe on Jesus, but they've been burned by the church. They've not been burned by Jesus. But folks who grow up in very lackadaisical faith, sort of we're going to bring you Christmas and Easter, uh, you know, that's where the hypocrisy, because it, they, they can see it for what it is. 
why are we going to this? This is stupid. Like, we don't go any other Sunday, and it has nothing to do with our lives, and so we're being fake if we go uh, off to church uh, on, on Sunday. And those folks are the ones who are uh, not really burned by the church as much as uh, frozen out because they've never even heard who Jesus is. So they have no way to sort of, there's no hope. There's no, they, they think that's a cultural institution, which incidentally is what's happening in the West and will even happen here in Birmingham one day. That you won't be able to count on people who are cultural Christians because uh, there won't be any left. Ken. Yes, yeah, so there are those who have heard the law who have not heard uh, the gospel. That's right. I, and that's paramount in any testimony. Uh, you know, I, I, you're not trying, uh, you're trying to connect with the person. Uh, and certainly the law has to be preached. Right? We have to be able to, you know, if the law is the mirror that shows us our face is dirty. But it can't, a mirror can't make your face clean. Only the soap of the gospel can do that. Uh, and so in the same way, uh, if you're just saying, hey, your face is really dirty, there's a very funny Bob Newhart uh, sketch, which even before I came to uh, Birmingham, I sent to Frank Limehouse and said, you should give this to Joe Warren for pastoral care. And it has Bob Newhart as a psychiatrist, and... Um, and this person pouring their heart out and saying, but this is what I'm really struggling with. And his response to everything is, stop it. Just stop it. And the, stop it, stop it. And the person, of course, is, ah, you know, I mean, because there's no way, that's why they're there, right? So being told stop it isn't, isn't actually going to make them stop it. They need someone to intervene from the outside. Yeah. As if, as if it's one of many different solutions yeah. to Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing about that is then if that works, why are you, why are you still looking? Like you, just when you think that you've found it, you, you've, you've moved on to the, to the next thing. And so, yeah, there really is sort of a utilitarian approach. What can Christianity uh, do uh, for me? And, and that's, that's a cultural issue that, that we're really going to have to... Um, to deal with, uh, but it was no different in Jesus' day. I mean, the, there really was absolutely no tolerating, especially in the Roman world, um, the worship of Jesus over Caesar, especially, I mean, in Gentile cities. But we see it here in Acts where there's absolutely no openness. It turns out that it's funny, they think they're being open-minded, but they're actually being incredibly self-righteous. And, uh, and I do think, you know, if you look at salvation, again, from the perspective of this life now, everybody's trying to save themselves from whatever angst or manifestation of sin in their own lives. Uh, they're looking at their jobs, they're looking at their spouses, they're looking at their families, children, uh, uh, whatever it, it might be. And so they're worshiping something, uh, and eventually that idol is going to give way and the world's going to come crashing down, uh, and that's where Christians can come in and help scoop up the pieces and, by God's grace, bring them back to wholeness uh, and unto the Lord. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's true. That, that actually is a, you know, people who really start hanging around Christianity, they get afraid because they realize this has real implications. And if I become a Christian, uh, well, I actually have a close family member uh, who said, I want so desperately to walk with the Lord, but it will mean the end of my marriage. And, um, and so uh, there are a lot of Bible stories about that too. Um, and, uh, and, and that's, that's a real thing. And I, a more serious note, <clears throat> I mean, even uh, in the world today, in places like the Middle East, if you become a Christian, y- your family, your own family will kill you. Um, and, and so there are plenty of stories uh, going around about Christians trying to escape uh, from their own families um, because they've come, uh, come to faith. Fran, you can say something? I mean, ultimately, that is the issue, right? Because uh, if there's a throne in all of our hearts, none of us want to get up from it. We want to sit there. That's where we want to sit. Even as Christians, there are times when we're like, mind if I get back up there for this situation? Um, and, uh, and so actually relinquishing control of it, you do have to be a, brought to a place where you cry uncle, where you realize, I'm not doing a very good job of running my life. In fact, this is where it's gotten me. And that doesn't mean, you know, for some people, I'm always amazed by this, you know, is in AA, some people have a, a high bottom and some people have a low bottom, right? For some people, a DUI ticket is what makes them say, I got to go to rehab or I, I need to get involved in AA or I need to, to kind of get my life back together. Other people, multiple DUIs, wrecks, family leaves them and they're still like, well, you know, I'm kind of trying to keep it all under control. Uh, and I mean, and it's just amazing. Like, what else could happen to you? Uh, I have no idea. But you see that uh, in people's lives, and you just pray. Um, it just, you know, Paul's always right. Uh, get your existential life crisis done when you're young. You know, have it when you're young. Uh, just get it out of the way, because everybody is going to have one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So part of it is, uh, one, faith is a gift from God, right? It's not something that we conjure up within ourselves, because if that's the case, it just means if you're a Christian, you're a lot smarter than everybody else, and everyone else is an idiot. Um, Well, that's not true. Uh, So faith is a gift that God gives us. I think, two, uh, Rhett, to your point, it's really important for us not to get bogged down, I think, in those big issues that if you zone in on Jesus and talk about Him and what He's done for us in our nature and how God has saved us from that, that other stuff will start to... So when people do say stuff like, well, I just can't get on board with da-da-da-da, you know, that, that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish or the ark and the animals. Like, I'm not going to engage in that because God's going to sort that out. And if that's why they're not becoming Christians... Yeah, you're right. Sorry, Matthew. Uh, 
Yeah, so religion is a cultural consideration. Again, in some sense, they may be right. Not about you, necessarily, but there are a lot of people who are cultural Christians um, just because it's comfortable and it's the right thing. But what that does is it makes it sound as if God can only work in certain geographic areas, that somehow he's not able to bring to faith someone who grows up in a Muslim-majority area uh, or, um, or Maine, uh, for instance. Uh, the, um, the other thing about that, too, is that uh, what's really sad about that is that even Christians have ceded or, or basically have thrown in the towel on those things. So rather than saying... I mean, this sounds crazy, but we've got to get a missionary to Maine, right? We've we got we to gotta come up with some sort of lobster scheme to... Uh, to um, and, um, and so I do think that there's a sense in which you can have a platform for the gospel. There's a more openness to the gospel in some areas. Uh, but the opposite is true, too, that it's getting harder and harder to break through in those areas, and we've basically knocked the dust off our sandals, and that's a really sad... Uh, testimony uh, for Christians. But here's the other thing. People are people. What wakes us up in the middle of the night is what wakes them up in the middle of the night, right? So the mom with two young kids living in Lebanon today, I mean, yes, she got her, she's got her own issues, uh, but she's worried about the same things. Like, who are my kids going to marry? How am I going to pay the rent? What, you know, all that kind of stuff is, you know, original sin uh, is evenly distributed. And, uh, and so, quite frankly, is God's redemption. Uh, so I think that that's another thing. Not, yeah, you want to have the cultural consideration like Paul has, uh, but the gospel trumps all of that. I mean, that's one of the amazing things about the gospel is that it's not cultural. It's not rooted in any particular culture. You go to sub-Saharan Africa, you go to North Africa, you go to the Middle East, you go to Europe, you go to Asia, the Far East, Australia, India... North America, Christianity's everywhere. That's not true. I mean, it is, but that's almost always the result of immigration, where it is true of Christianity because it's a missionary faith and that people have gone out and they've evangelized. So country with the greatest population of Christians, the most Christian nation in the world, China. China's the most Christian nation in the world. Right? Tell somebody who's Chinese that... that uh, that, oh, that's for white Westerners. Yeah. yeah. So the gospel, the gospel starts to knock those, knock those things down. Um, but I, I didn't even get, get to the end when they uh, try to kill them. Uh, but uh, be of good cheer. Uh, uh, you can actually go to these steps and you can preach uh, if you want and they won't kill you. Uh, they'll tell you to shush because it's so close to the... Uh, uh, wailing wall, but, uh, but there you go. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.